hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of In Conversation With. Uh, today I have Asan Hoshbacht with me uh, to talk about, well, many things, but, but the bulk of it, I want to talk about film Farsi, A Journey Through Iranian Cinema. It's a film uh, that Richard Lane and I saw at the Wales One World uh, Film Festival and uh, that I was really um, thrilled by, not only for what I learned from it about uh, Iranian cinema in the period between uh, is it the coup in 53 and the revolution in 79, but also in similarities that I could detect with that period of Iranian cinema, and for example, you know, the Spanish cinema of the transition to democracy. I think, you know, the film is not only of interest to those who are interested in Iranian cinema, but actually to those who are interested more broadly in questions of popular cinema and, and, and cultures in transition. So uh, thank you very much for agreeing to talk to me, Asan, uh, and, and welcome. Uh, so tell me a little bit about how the film, well, what, you know, what, how the film unfolded and um, what you wanted to make and what you think it is and what it's not. <laughs> well, ideally, uh, when dealing with film history, I would love to show the films instead yes. of making a film about them. But when the films are not available and it's, uh, uh, it's uh, difficult or impossible in this case to screen the films from a certain period in you know, Iranian cinema, Iranian pre-revolutionary films, uh, then uh, making a documentary about it became the next logical thing to do. So the project came about out of that need. So there was a need for it. Otherwise, you know, filmmaking is expensive, it's time consuming, it's difficult. It's not something that I really enjoy doing every day, whereas showing films is much more fun and you don't have to invest a lot in that. So uh, I thought, okay, maybe I could do something about this subject with whatever I had uh, in my possession, which was not much. I mean, the copies, you have seen the copies, some of them are better, some of them are not. So basically, I started looking for material which was in a slightly better quality because I was thinking about uh, being able to, you know, project this film in a cinema and see some decent images. Uh, and uh, that was basically the starting point. So, you know, started re-watching the films and uh, it was um, it was shaped uh, in a course of almost four years working with two different editors so the initial idea was okay let's give the audience mostly I would say non-Iranian audience a sense of how Iranian popular cinema worked what kind of people were in it what kind of films were made but gradually it became something else because uh, I was I was lucky to have uh, two work in progress screenings or three works in pro work in progress screenings of the film the first one when the film was still the cut was very long nearly two hours was in Copenhagen and during that screening I realized that there were some Iranians there from you know expats from you know I guess 
a generation who had seen those films uh, in cinema. And, uh, and I realized that even for them, there is some new information. Nostalgia, I'm very anti-nostalgic. It was never my intention, but I also realized that the film has some nostalgic function for Iranians. Yeah. So that screening expanded my horizon in the sense that I thought, no, this is not necessarily a film for non-Iranians. This is a film for basically everyone. Yeah. I, sh I guess, you know, I'm going to invest more on non-Iranians trying to, you know, clarify cer certain things and uh, and make a statements which could sound stating the obvious for Iranians, but they were essential for just, you know, giving them overall sense of how this history uh, was uh, unfold since 1953 to the time of the revolution. And uh, then, you know, time and time again, uh, my own views on film policy uh, were shifting as I was making the films because four years is a long time. You go back, you watch the films and you arrive at new conclusions. One other important factor in in making the film and showing it as I was making the film, you know, one of the screenings was at, was at uh, SA Film Festival in London, is that gradually in my own uh, emotions and my feelings for those films shifted from a sense of, okay, these are just, you know, genre films. Most of them are terrible. A sense of even embarrassment to presenting them, to loving them, mm. to feeling for them, to and feeling something for the people who had created these mm. films. And that became the main narrative of the film. From, oh, this is, this is really embarrassing and terrible, to something, hey, wait a second, these films have many great elements in them. After all, these are documentations of the lives of a people in a country. Yeah. Uh, it's everybody's right to produce images. I mean, no one had the right to stop these people in 1979 from making films, producing films, composing for films, acting in films. So that was something that was just almost like a personal experience for me which mm. happened within that period of time and I made it part of the film. There's a very beautiful uh, Spanish film called um, Canciones para después de una guerra which is uh, songs for the post-war and your film reminds me a little bit of it because you know it's basically about capturing people's structures of feeling yeah you know what what they what made them happy or sad or, yeah, a way of life, yeah, and so on. And it's basically done around newsreels and also the popular songs of the era, yeah. And it, you know, and it, it really evokes very powerfully a way of life. And, and I think it's very interesting because, you know, cinema is so rich. It can encompass so many different things, right? But actually, in terms of criteria of value of what we tend to value in film, yeah, there. You know, there. It's it's often around a set of criteria that um, preserve some kind of concept related to high art, rather than 
you know, often kind of films that might seem poppy or cheap or melodramatic, but that, you know, will often have some fantastic moments and that nonetheless often evoke a kind of a structure of feeling of a culture much more powerfully, or at least as powerfully, as some of the, you know, the better, yeah, the more fully realized films. Uh, and what I thought was so interesting about your project is, you know, how, how you do that, but actually your film does that, but it does that through the clips themselves, yeah, through, through images from the films rather than images and sounds put together to evoke a structure of feeling like Patino does. So that sounded more like a thesis than a question, <laughs> but I want to pick up on a few points from you. First, you said how difficult it was to, uh, you know, to do this film when there were no films. So can you begin from that point and explain to our listeners, you know, where this absence of films comes from? Why were there no films? And obviously you found many and so on, but talk, uh, talk me through that process of thinking these works no longer exist to you having made a film with you know, clips from these films. Um, when the revolution happened, uh, these films, Iranian, pre-revolutionary cinema was either banned or was deemed impossible to to show to people in this new Iran which is the Islamic Republic of Iran right for for two reasons one was the the, the issue of banning the films was because you know the figures in them or the creators of these films were banned from work and the other issue which was even more significant was that well, of course, when uh, hijab was introduced, forced on the Iranian society after, I guess it was 1981, it was not right after the revolution, it was 1980 or 81, then these films became impossible to screen because it was showing Iranian women who were still alive, active, working, whatever, without whale. And so that became the other issue, forcing these films to uh, uh, to kind of vanish forever. And um, but something else had happened prior to the revolution. So late mid to late seventies is when home video is picking up, right? But it didn't arrive at uh, to Iran at that time. Uh, however, there were people with some you know uh, business brain I guess who started collecting the prints and making telecine copies transferring them to videos for I guess a market that they had envisioned would be the next opportunity for for these films to be seen and of course that didn't happen in Iran because uh, home video was banned too but these people took these films out of the country and took them to California, where thousands and thousands of Iranians migrated to after the 1979 revolution. So Iranian supermarkets in California became the main hubs for, you know, for selling these films on tape. The way that, for instance, in German, uh, in Germany, Turkish films became very popular in Turkish neighborhoods and. Turkish supermarkets and then through different sources these tapes uh, completed the journey by returning to Iran in 
pilot suitcases mm -hmm. because they were not searching them and things like that. So what I saw of Iranian pre-revolutionary cinema was actually on tape arriving from California. And uh, uh, it was not, not every single title was available. Not every single title was in good quality. Uh, and uh, it was uh, a very slow process of seeing the films that I wanted to see. And for making the film, I guess, you know, between 1980s or early 1990s to, let's say, 21st century, you know, the differences are, of course, huge. Internet was introduced, digital satellite mm. was introduced, which played a significant role in now eliminating the VHS tape and broadcasting these films directly from California, uh, TV networks in California for Iranians in Iran. So I started, you know, taping, collecting, recording everything, and I, I used that uh, collection as uh, the starting point for working on the film. Uh, but I guess the other question would be, how much of how many of these films actually exist in as prints? Mm. I believe that perhaps a good number of them exist in thirty-five mil print, but I think the majority of them are distribution prints, mm. and because there were not too many prints produced of each film, something between ten to fifteen, not more than that, uh -huh. which is nothing compared to. 2,000 prints which are uh, uh, produced for screening, distributing an American film, or 500 for a British film. Mm. It means that they've been screened so many times that basically you don't have much left of the original quality, yeah. image and sound quality of the film. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about the Iranian film industry in this period? Yeah, um, you know, were there many independent producers? What were the distribution networks? Was it addressed, you know, directly at an Iranian audience? Did it have an audience outside of Iran, and so on? Uh, I think it was mentioning that the Iranian cinema, which re-emerged after the Second World War in roughly 1947-48, uh, was a very peculiar one, because it was a cinema which had a very successful start before the war in the early 30s then it lost its appeal because there were no infrastructures for it then it completely lost the game to american and european films and uh, Ira uh, the allied occupation of iran between 1941 and 46 7 uh, meant that there were plenty of western films british american and soviet films available to Iranians. So that kind of made uh, any attempt for restarting Iranian cinema and attempts for making film impossible. And then when in 47 it started, it started with very uh, meager means, like 16 mil cameras. So all the 16 mil cameras, which American uh, uh, army had brought to Iran for filming filming their activities in Iran they were sold to Iranians and they started making films with 16mm cameras 
would just and there were only one or two distribution frames. So Iranian popular cinema, which is which started in the forties, was privately funded, done by people who had no education belt, occasionally businessmen. Mm -hmm. It was a very transnational cinema from the beginning. In 1930s, it started in film studios of Bombay because there were facilities there. And it was done in collaboration with Parsi people who are Zarastins of India. And now again, you have figures from the entire region coming to Tehran to contribute to uh, the birth of rebirth of Iranian film industry. You have, and let's not forget that Iran is an extremely tolerant country in that period, okay, because of the presence of allied forces, uh, freedom of the press, and so many things. So you have people, for instance, Marx, Arab Marxists, like, you know, this a Marxist family from Baghdad, they come to Tehran to live in Tehran because Tehran is. Uh, offering them more opportunities and they get involved in producing films. I'm talking about, you know, at least two figures. One is Gurji Abadia. And I mention him because it's a very interesting story. He is a, for, for his Arab Jew from Baghdad. He comes to Iran, he, he makes many films in Iran and then he migrates to Israel and he becomes a, one of the fathering figure of Israeli popular cinema. So see, they are they are moving around. We have figures also from India traveling to a tire merchant by the name of Sardar Saker arriving there, contributing to the film industry. So this is this is the kind of it's it feels like early American cinema. In fact, it it feels like silent silent days in American cinema. That it it's a cinema of people who are into adventures, who are gamblers, who are businessmen. Uh, it's tough. Uh, um, there is very little art or imagination, but they paved the way for a generation after who have both the talent and the imagination and they treat cinema as art. So this was basically the Iranian, uh, the foundations of Iranian popular cinema and the foundations of film Farsi. But parallel to this, in the late 50s, something else emerged, and that was Iranian art house cinema known as the Iranian New Wave. Mm. That is an entirely different story because uh, like many other new waves, uh, for instance, like British uh, free cinema, uh, it had the support, the gov uh, governmental support, it had public funding available to it. It was a cinema which was tied to the festival circuit and festival screenings like New Wave. It was a festival which was, it, it was a type of cinema which showed signs of very healthy educational system like Czechoslovak New Wave that, you know, they all go to the same school or similar schools like or like Polish New Wave. So that's a parallel movement. And what is interesting in Iranian cinema, that there are people, there are filmmakers who move between the two movements, like Masoud Kimiyahi, who was the subject of one of your podcasts, yeah. The Deer. Yeah. He's the perfect example of someone who's making films which are extremely popular, 
who's also contributing to the new wave movement, who's making children films for the Center for Intellectual Development of Children and Young Adults, which is a very was a very important center for producing films, using children as a, you know, a starting point, and then you know producing all these groundbreaking work by Amir Nadiri and Abbas Kiarostami. So this is where it gets really interesting that you have the crossover. Okay. And uh, this is the story of the deer, basically. Yes, but um, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, because the impression that I got uh, from uh, your film, and also you know I have been looking at various talks that you've been giving um, in the festival circuit on YouTube and so on, is that um, one of the things that distinguishes film Farsi is that it's so urban, whereas a lot of the art cinema that was being done at that point tended to focus on the rural, on the village. On yeah, Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Uh, yes, uh, I, I think it is, generally speaking, it is true that the most well-known, internationally well-known Iranian art house films are those set in villages, like films by Sohrab Shahid Salis, Parviz Kimyavi, and Darush Merjui. These are big festival winners. Mm. Like you know, the 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 key film is 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 the cow in that regard. The cow was a was a groundbreaking work. It was uh, made in 1969. It was screened at Cannes Film Festival and Venice Film Festival in 1970, late 1970, early 1971. So uh, in uh, a sharp contrast with that world of, of rural Iran, you have the film Farsi, which is about city dandies, city tough guys, uh, cafe dancers, prostitutes, uh, singers, uh, stars. Uh, however, the Iranian uh, popular cinema also had its uh, its own village films yeah. and the phase dealing with uh, with uh, rural life, but in a completely different manner. So, song and dance goes to the village right. instead of seeing the you know the harsh reality of rural life, the poverty and uh, lack of education, and uh, you know. A total lack of any sort of infra infrastructure, like you know, running water, etc. Uh, so they also had it, mm. and they also they even had some sort of uh, international success with that. Uh, when we talk about festival circuit, the one of the big problems I have with the discussion of modern cinema in regard to festival circuit is that we are talking about three or four or five major film festivals. Whereas there were other festivals which played a significant role in shaping the history of cinema in many countries. Moscow Film Festival is one, mm. which is very under-researched. Mm. Moscow Film Festival, because Iran and Russia or Soviet Union were neighbors for a long time, mm. Iranian films made their way to uh, Soviet Union from the 50s, mm. very, very even before Iranian films found their way to Cannes and, and Venice. Mm. And this village film, for, in fact, was screened at Moscow Film Festivals. A guy by the name of Majid Mohseni was a master of these village films. The message was simple, the idea of return. Okay, you have all the lures of the big city, all of the, uh, the femme fatale is almost like Murnau's sunrise. You go and you do your thing in the city, but you have to get back to the village and make agriculture work. So this is basically the story of these films. And this man was making some 
really popular examples of, of village films. And they had some international exposure as well. In answer to your other question, whether these films had any sort of international audience or they were you know, produced only for Iranians, well, the language was a, uh, was a limiting element because Persian is only spoken as the main language in one country and as one of the main languages in one other country, which is Afghanistan, and as the non-official language in Tajikistan, perhaps Uzbekistan, some other countries of Central Asia. So this meant that they couldn't, they couldn't uh, import, export uh, many films. Uh, and uh, unlike, for instance, Arab cinema, if you produce a film in studios in Cairo, you can, you can, you can send the films to 16 to 25 different countries. So the, the solutions that they came up with was, I think, very brilliant. That they started doing co-production. So Italian co-productions, uh, Hindi co-productions, uh, uh, Lebanese co-productions, so many different types of co-productions, and Turkish co-productions. Mm -hmm. So basically because dubbing was the main norm of the industry, they could you know, have both Turkish actors and Iranian actors doing a Turkish version for Turks and an Iranian version, uh, a Persian version for Iranians. Exactly the way that, you know, uh, Franco-Italian co-productions work or Spanish-Italian co-productions uh, work in, the, in its exactly the same time, uh, f 50s and 60s and early 70s. Uh, so there was some, some uh, international exposure, but very, very limited. And it was, it was the market for Iranian uh, art house firms uh, gradually became bigger and bigger. And in the 70s, you know, for a short period of time, Iranian films were very well known uh, internationally before the revolution happened. And it took another 10 years for them to, to be introduced to international audiences. If I'm remembering your film correctly, I also got the sense that cinema, uh, post-war cinema, or a certain type of post-war cinema, was also part of you know, the Shah's project uh, 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 once he gained power. Uh, am I right in thinking that? And, and was it a particular kind of cinema? And I can't imagine that film, film Farsi is, is necessarily how he wove the flag or what he wove the flag with. Yeah, so how do these things yeah. connect, if, if, if I'm being clear? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if there, there was the whole idea in, in, in film Farsi and in Iranian popular culture in general is that it's a culture based on re resistance to an idea or a dominant ideology and there is a, it's, a, it's a culture of contradiction and conflict. So one person, one individual known as the Shah is, wants to promote a certain idea of Iran. Uh, the means are mostly television and radio, not cinema. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so the, in the official version of Iran, you see uh, the glories of the past of the Persian Empire. You see the progress, you see the modernity. And it's a modernity without any issues. It's mm -hmm. a modernity which is fully settled. There's no problem with it. Everybody's happy with it. It works, where in reality... Uh, it was something else. And Film Farsi is showing the contradictions of bringing, uh, introducing modernism to Iranian society. You're, the characters 
are not sure whether they want to have their veil or go out in mini skirt. So yes. you see the characters <laughs> having both, <laughs> which do. is uh, <laughs> which is really crazy. Yes. And uh, so the Iranian, the, the, the official culture was highbro. Mm. That's very interesting. So for the, you have if you go to the TV guides in the in the seventies, you know the type of films shown on Iranian national television are really good quality films. Of course, of course there are plenty of American sitcoms, but you see you know films by Ingmar Bergman and John Ford uh, being broadcast on Iranian television and all the high quality stuff. And then he also does something else. The whole idea of Iranian new wave is something which was, I guess, unwittingly born out of this, the, uh, the, the infrastructures created for a new Iran and a new uh, Iranian cinema. So, again, tied to the Shah and royal family, uh, the Ministry of Culture, Iranian National Television, Center for the Intellectual Development of Children and Young Adults, mm. Center for Cinema, the Cinema of the Youth. And these are all uh, institutions which are created by the Shah and his allies. Mm. And they are allowing people to go and make films. Mm. And the majority of the masterpieces of Iranian cinema, mm. films that you have discussed in your podcast, Chess of the Wind, you know, they they were uh, the outcome of and the direct result of having these facilities available to to Iranian filmmakers. But the contradiction before before talking about the the, the, the other contradiction, I just wanted to mention the film festivals too. Three or four big, very successful film festivals in Iran. Uh, Tehran International Film Festival was rumored to have a budget bigger than Cannes Film Festival. And if you look at the images and footage from the festival, they say it's almost unreal seeing yes. that everybody was there. Yes. Almost, you know, you have Rossellini there, you have Gregory Peck there, you have Satya Jitrai there, you have all the Japanese masters there. So it was, and also Spanish directors. That's also very interesting that you have a strong presence of uh, Spanish cinema from the very first edition of the festival. I, I, I think I've seen a picture of uh, of uh, Victor Erife uh -huh. attending the festival in the 70s. So, uh, but what is the contradiction? The contradiction is that okay, this is the money. This is this is this is the camera. This is the funding. Go make your film. But the type of people who want to make these films are basically very radical leftists. Uh, students and graduates of Western universities, they are hippies, they are rebels, uh, they are militants. So we have this long uh, phase of these figures using public funding and using all the uh, uh, facilities which are provided by the regime to make films which are basically A, against the dominant ideology, yeah. B, often banned by the very system 
which has produced the film. So interesting. And this is an ongoing problem in Iranian cinema because again, after the revolution, the very same things uh, happen because the state produces it, the state bans it. Do you know the story of Buñuel making Viridiana? I do. It's very, very <laughs> similar. I do. Because uh, interestingly, last year in Bologna, we had Pera Portovella uh -huh. attending. Uh, he, oh, no, he didn't attend via the Zoom. And he told the story in details about what happened. And uh, so it's very, very similar that, yeah, OK, come and make the film here. That's OK. And then someone goes and collects the prize at Cannes Film Festival without actually having seen the film. Yes. And then, you know, it gets complicated. But in reality, the way I have, I've, I've heard that when Franco eventually saw the film, thought, well, it's not a big deal. It's not as bad as everybody uh, talks about. I've heard something like that. And he was, he, he... I don't know that bit, I must say, because, you know, the film is quite shocking still. I, yeah, I showed it to my students and they are quite shocked by it. The knife, you know, the cross that becomes a knife, I mean... You know, yeah. if, if you have any faith at all or you know those are quite <laughs> shocking images um, and it was definitely banned until democracy came in the film yeah well, yeah the film was banned but I wanted to say that in a system like Francoist Spain or the Pahlavi Iran you know it's 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 not a fully unified yeah, it's not a system you have yeah uh, you have figures who are more progressive you know, you have in the Ministry of Culture people who are uh, clearly sympathizing with the filmmakers. Okay, go ahead and make whatever you like. This is the material. Go and do your stuff. And there are people who are more conservative. Yes. So uh, I guess that made things even more complicated because they didn't know where the red lines were. Yes. They were not sure. They were just doing something and the next day, you know, they were finding out about the film being permanently, indefinitely banned yeah. uh, or unbanned a few years later without any specific reasons. There are many examples of, of, of these films. Totalitarianism that, kind of works like that, right? Like, it does. <laughs> yeah. you know. It does. Um, but I, I, I don't want to, I want to get back to the focus of film Farsi because I have a tendency yeah. to contextualize, contextualize and sometimes miss the core. So, you know, what ground does film Farsi cover? What are the genres? What were the stars? You know, was it truly popular? Uh, and what kind of afterlife have these films had? Uh, the most popular type of film Farsi, which, you know, arguably the most popular type of cinema in the entire region or Asian countries in general, is melodrama. So melodrama as the most popular form and a form with which is capable of offering very creative variations. Mm. So even if you have a gangster films, you, you still have some elements of melodrama in, a, in Iranian films. A musical, you need your melodramatic elements because this is something which speaks directly to the Iranian audience. It's something that they can feel. It's a it's a it's a it's a form of cultural dialogue. Whereas, gangster film is not. Gangster film offers you the thrill, the excitement, mm. uh, stylistic beauty of those films. But you know, as a form of cultural dialogue, a popular form of dialogue, 
uh, melodramas were uh, the dominant form. But then there are musicals, again, perhaps the second most popular form. Um, uh, again, uh, owing it to uh, to Mex uh, to to uh, um, uh, Indian cinema and Egyptian cinemas, mm -hmm. uh, there were uh, uh, films which were uh, in, in a certain period uh, crime thrillers were very successful, and now my by far my uh, favorite Iranian genre of films mm -hmm. in the fifties. I did a program of uh, those films uh, in Bologna. Uh, Films by Samuel Khachikian. Yes. Again, you see, you have Iranian Armenian making films, uh, making uh, film noir and crime thrillers in Iran. And um, there were uh, f some fantasy films, some, you know, epic films. Uh, uh, there were many remakes. There were comedies. Uh, comedies that were lo uh, loved by the majority of Iranians, one of the most popular uh, types of film Farsi and uh, in terms of um, so this is these are the genres which were popular between the late 40s and early 60s in the 60s I think some very specific Iranian genres uh, emerged which were kind of uh, a mixture of all these different elements of musical, of melodrama, of gangster film. And there were Iranian, uh, there were Jahili films, for instance, which are films around certain types of characters, very masculine, tough guy, very violent, very sexist figures. And it's about their... Uh, maintenance of power and control in neighborhood or the city and their relationships with rival gangs and also the relationship between these characters and secondary female characters who are often dancers and prostitutes mm -hmm. and it's about how you convert the dancer and prostitute into the good mother mm -hmm. good Muslim mother mm -hmm. so it's the, the story is about that and uh, by the late 60s, as radical left groups uh, gained power and influence in Iranian society, the idea of revenge and the idea of taking the law into your own hands well, becomes significant. That's in a way what, you know, what I want to ask you next, because every genre of a particular moment anyway speak something about the culture, right? So, you know, kind of melodrama is often about, you know, uh, uh, the social prohibition of individual desire. Yeah? And, uh, yeah? Uh, yeah. Uh, in Spain, for example, th there are many, many films about children who are ill and whose families can't afford the hospital, but if they win a radio contest, they can go to America to get the operation. Right, so in a way, kind of those speak, those those films, which are often light-hearted musicals, or you know, I mean, sentimental but light-hearted, yeah, often speak a lack of health care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what yeah. do these different genres, as social documents of Iran, yeah, in, in at a particular period, what do they speak? What do they express, in perhaps indirectly? Yeah, yeah. In I guess between 19, late forties and the sixties. 
if you want to reduce it to one word, it would be reconciliation. Mm. Reconciliation. These are the films of reconciliation. Let's get together. You, Azari speaking, uh, Kurdish speaking, uh, this and that, uh, rural, uh, um, urban dandy. Let's get together and let's make this country work. So these are films believing in the project of modernism. Uh-huh. These are films which are made on a positive, optimistic note. Yes. In the 60s and 70s, it's a different story. It's quite opposite. Uh. Losing that hope. So these are films that uh, perhaps without even realizing it clash with the with the dominant ideology and reject everything that the that the, the 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 government is offering and it's a uh, very striking because in the 70s Iran is a much richer country i mean the boom in oil prices in the 70s you know you expect to see what you see for instance in american films of the 50s mm-hmm. right but you don't see that quite opposite you see more of poverty of violence of intolerance of things not working, of ah. that dream not happening. And that's the main narrative of both the art house films and popular films in Iranian cinema of the 60s, particularly in the 70s. Uh, a lack of trust. So, for instance, in Iranian art house films, you have, the, you have this narrative of strangers, of threatening figures appearing on the horizon of the fear of the unknown, of the fear of your neighbor, of the person you don't know, of the fear, being afraid for your life, being afraid for so many things. These are, because it had turned into a police state, basically. Yeah. You know, so the films, most popular films, uh, and most certainly Iranian art house films, are dealing with these issues. And it, the, the, the themes and these concerns and these fears find their way into Iranian films subconsciously or unconsciously but they are there when today when looking at the films you see look at it it it, it is about Iran in the 70s the overall impression that I got from your film was you know that it was very much a kind of a vibrant document of a society in transition where as you said before you know, someone might be wearing the veil and a miniskirt at the same time. Yeah, but, you know, that kind of almost everyone is learning to deal with change and, and dealing with it in different ways, yeah? That's yeah. kind of the overall impression that, that, that I got. That was, was you know, and, and kind of powerfully conveyed because, again, I think, you know, you get the distinctiveness of Iranian culture at that moment. But, but you, you know, you can also read it in the light of your own experience. It lends itself to comparisons, you know, with, with others. And what I also loved was, uh, so by vibrant, I suppose you could also say pulpy, yeah? Uh, that, you know, the emotions come across as very powerful. You know, they're often not necessarily kind of uh, delineated in a three-dimensional way but actually that they don't lose power for being so direct. Yeah, that's kind of, it's, it's clearly communicated. You understand, or I understand it, right? <laughs> yeah, um, and so that, that makes the whole thing seem very, um, very vibrant and valuable. 
But can, can I ask you now about the, you know, I heard you say in an interview that you're not a historian, so this is not so much a history of, you know, the cinema as a history of, of Iran, yeah, as a personal history of Iran. So, so these clips are all operating as a kind of social document in a way, aren't they? Can you tell me a little bit about your process in that? Sure. I first of all, I, you know, I see myself as a historian, but not as a historian of Iranian popular cinema. Ah. Uh, so uh, when I approached the subject, uh, for me it was an act of remembrance. Me remembering those films, and uh, and a way of looking at the lives of Iranians. So basically, this is a, this is not a film about Iranian popular cinema. It's a film about Iranians between 1953 to 1979, and I have used Iranian popular cinema as the means to to tell their story. Uh, and I have used Iranian films, and because I'm a film person, uh, I couldn't help. You know, dropping names of this director and that character because, after all, I had my favorites and I had my uh, uh, favorite filmmakers and uh, films uh, in Iranian film history, which I thought would be interesting to mention. And I used different devices to bring this to the viewer's attention that don't take this as an as a history of Iranian popular cinema. For instance, by including the story about my grandmother, it was just an active interruption in the flow of the film mm -hmm. that I'm talking about Jimmy Carter and the next moment I'm talking about my grandmother mm -hmm. or the other way around the, the, the idea was that this is a very personal perspective and if you want to tell general history Jose you would you know you want to mention you want to tell the general history of the Spanish cinema there are standard titles that you have to mention yeah. okay you know, you have to do Juan Antonio Bardem and Berlanga and this and that. I didn't do that standard version at all. Uh -huh. So for uh, someone who knows Iranian popular cinema's history, for instance, you know, the absence of, of some films could be questionable. And I was questioned by some Iranian scholars. You know, that was not my intention. I, you know, that was the film was not part of the story I wanted to tell. Plus, there was a very uh, practical element to it. That I, The rule was this. The film that I want to use needs to have a minimum quality, image quality to be included. Mm. Okay? To be watchable. Yeah. Right? So that excluded many titles, which are available, but they are such a poor quality that you, know, you cannot see it even the, face, the faces of the actors in the film. And the film was constructed this way, not as a history. I hope someday someone accessing better quality material could make a standard history of Iranian popular cinema with interviews and everything. Mm. But again, you know, because I didn't want to uh, present this as a sort of history, I avoided, deliberately avoided using talking heads. I had interviewed the person who coined the term film Farsi, and I just teased <laughs> the audience by showing a frame, a few frames of him in the film, that this is the man who did it, I met him in Tehran, in whatever. But I didn't use the interview, because I'm not interested in talking heads. Mm. 
If you want to do a standard history, that's very useful. But this is about a very uh, subjective way of going for understanding Iranian popular culture. Mm. It was an attempt. I don't know if it's been successful or not, but it's it was my attempt to understand that culture through which I understand myself better. And believe me, it helped me a lot. All the you know all the dark corners of your character, <laughs> the dark sides. They you know you say, okay, this is terrible. Look at this character. When you look at it, look at this person. You think, God, this is just awful. This is so wrong. But gradually you realize, you know, I have done things like that. Mm -hmm. I have made mistakes like that. Some of the things this character is doing has been part of my culture for, for, for a long time yeah. to the extent that they have become invisible. But when you look at it with a, from a distance, geographical distance to Iran, you know, London, Iran, and also the time between the long gap between now and the time these films were made, you can see them better and you can understand yourself as a filmmaker and as an Iranian better. And that was extremely rewarding for me. That connects to uh, the first point that uh, you brought up initially, how you know you um, you you began you didn't think of a, an, an Iranian audience when watching the film, but then you know Iranian people saw the film, yeah, and then you think, well, this this film will be for everybody, and you know you were saying you were suspicious of nostalgia, but uh, I. And uh, it just made me think, you know, that phrase like, you know, the past is another country. And <laughs> I also think like, uh, you know, uh, cultures of immigrants, there is nostalgia, but it's, it's not just nostalgia. It's, it's also people who have not been seen, who are not seen, yeah, who carry a past that nobody in their present understands. Yeah. And it's a way for them it's a touchstone for them to make sense of their own feelings. Yeah, that there are reasons why they think that way. Yeah, that kind of it's not all in their head. The 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 film bears testimony to a structure of feeling that you know that was once theirs. Let's say so. So yeah. so part of the function is one of of being recognized and seen. Yeah, yeah. Of 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 speaking history <laughs> and not just. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, completely true. And uh, uh, it, it, again, that was uh, very crucial to this, to, to uh, the formation of this film project. That I want people. This is exactly what I thought. That I want these bodies to be seen when they are moving, when they are talking, when they are interacting, when they are making love, mm. when they are causing each other harm. I want them to be seen all over the world because and this was exciting this Jose it was extremely exciting to see these films on the biggest screens of of different cities in in, in Europe in, in, in Asia in, in, in Americas uh, because uh, these films were not seen these films were you know seen by some Iranians on tapes but never on the biggest screen after the time these films were made so it was an it was also a, a sort of uh, a statement a performance if you like that okay let's bring back these images 
to the cinemas. Let's project them again. And that was very important. But when I say the nostalgia function, there's, I'm talking about something very specific. There's a very dangerous uh, situation uh, in uh, regard to uh, these images. There are people, institutions, individuals, and television networks who are using the images of pre-revolutionary Iran to promote the idea of return to monarchy. For instance, there's a television network in the UK whose function is transmitting propaganda by using the very same image, the very same image that I have looked at and I have seen both beauty and ugliness in it, both tragedy and comedy in it. They only see the beauty, they only see the greatness of it and they basically the argument is Iranians were good under the Shah the only solution to end this misery is to get back to the pre-revolutionary Iran, which is a very, very dangerous idea because people tend to forget there was censorship, there was torture, there were political prisoners, there were all this mess, but it was, it was more presentable uh, on the surface. Yeah. It was more elegant, it was more, but it was the same mess that you see in Iran today and it's very dangerous to idolize and glamorize that very dark, equally dark past. And that's the kind of nostalgia function of the moving images from pre-revolutionary days that I resist and fight against. Right. Understood. I was uh, um, going to. Uh, I was. <laughs> I was going to ask you one more question, but I think we have to make it two, because this one is also such a downer of a question that I want to end on a high note. So I have a quote, I think it's from your film, but I'm not sure now because I didn't write it down properly. Shortly after the, the 1979 Iranian Revolution, the country's national newspapers published the joint subpoena, unique in film history. All the key stars of film Farsi uh, were summoned to the Revolutionary Court the careers of hundreds of actors and directors ended overnight. Can you tell us a little bit about this and what happened subsequently? Because I think, you know, one of the things that I think make your film so great also is, again, like just, you know, the recognition of this moment and what it stands for. And that it's not just this film or that film, but, you know, it, it's... It seems almost an act of cultural barbarism, really, yeah, to, yeah, to, to, to end careers, yeah, to for films not to be, yeah. So the the film has a talis. Your film has a a more powerful talismanic element than I would normally attribute to. I don't know a film about Italian cinema, yeah, in the forties. Uh, just tell me your thoughts and correct me if. Uh, if I'm wrong about anything. First thing I can say is that fortunately no harm was done to any of those individuals in terms of physical harm on mm. me, but all of them were banned. And, you know, bitterness, if you don't uh, come into time with your past or your country's past, it comes back to you again and again. And that bitterness 
stays there forever. Mm, like the you return know. of the repressed. <laughs> the turn of the repressed, but also n not necessarily because that, that, that would become like the uh, prelude to new movements and new um, revolutions. But the bitterness I'm talking about is not a kind of creative return at all. Mm. The bitterness is the lack of trust that dark world you see in the Iranian art house films of the 70s now has become the Iranian rea reality. Mm. A society which, in which the intellectual and the artists don't trust, don't trust each other. There's this, the sense of collaboration and collective effort has died. Mm. The bitterness is so huge even today. Even people who had better lives outside Iran. That is hard to believe. So the damage has been huge. And you see that when you talk to these people and to the to the to the filmmakers and stars who were banned. Uh, and it became an overtly political issue because you know, every few years you have the discussion about allowing one of these people to to come back and play well now they can play only grandfathers and grandmothers mm. basically in in films considering their age uh the, it becomes political every few years and then when they die again it becomes into something uh which tells the iranians of the failure of coming to terms with their past of of allowing different members of Iranian society to exist at the same time. Mm. You know, when Fardin, the great star of these films, who was also a, a, a wrestling champion, uh, when he died, his death was announced on Iranian national television in one line. Fardin, former wrestling champion, has died. No mention of the 60, 70 films he was in, of him being the most popular movie star in Iranian cinema. And he was lucky that he got the mention because at least he was also a sportsman, so they could mention his name in that capacity. Otherwise, people die without, you know, having uh, their name being heard or spoken by anyone in Iranian society. So, uh, I guess what makes film Farsi so unique in a very uh, in a very sad even tragic way is its ending that it's so abrupt so unexpected and so quick and today 40 years 42 years after the Iranian revolution this issue hasn't been resolved at all this very at the very same uh, moment that we are recording this, there is discussion about, you know, Let Behruz Vusuri, uh, another Iranian actor, wonderful actor of the deer playing the role of Sayyid the junkie. He wants to, he had released a statement that he wants to visit the grave of his mother. Mm. He wants to be allowed to return to the country to visit the grave of his mother. I mean, this is, this is heartbreaking, of course. But it's almost unreal uh, why someone is not allowed 
to do that because he's appeared in films. It's the last stronghold. Film, the, the, the state's relationship with film force is the last stronghold of pure Stalinism in the world. Mm. Because you, ha you have no other example of, of that. Cubans, relationship with the cinema, they have shown tolerance. The Chinese have shown some tolerance in regard to their films. The, uh, former Eastern Bloc countries, you see that nowhere except Iran. The total lack of tolerance. In, in spite of that, uh, your film exists, uh, kind of bearing witness uh, to something else, and something else about Iran, you know, a, a vibrancy, an emotionality, a, a, a color, yeah, a structure of feeling, you know, that existed and exists, uh, and is evident for all to see in your film. So uh, for that, thank you very much, Esan uh, Hoshka. Thank you so much, Jose. Thanks for, for giving me the chance to, to uh, talk film fussy. Well, thank you very much for giving me the time. I really appreciate it. <laughs>